This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, Dave, we have spent a lot of time last year, certainly so far this season, this this spring training, talking about driveline. It just seems to be where the magic happens, where people just get things turned around. And we get a chance to speak to a guy who is the director of hitting at Driveline. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Tanner Stokey's with us. Tanner, how are you, sir? I'm great, fellas. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. It's uh, Before we get into the particulars and everything, I, I would imagine it's kind of cool for you to hear your, your the name of your business mentioned as often as it is. I mean, whether it's on radio or it's in print, to hearing players talk about it. I mean, when somebody like J.P. Crawford puts in the season he did last season after spending all his time at Driveline, you can't find a better commercial than that, can you? No, of course not. It, obviously, it's a lot of fun, man. We, we spend a lot of time with these guys in the offseason. And uh, obviously, it's fun for us to see driveline posted, get us talked about. But but the thing we really like to see the most is, is the results on the field. Hey Tanner, um, do you get much? Uh, is it? It seems very cooperative from MLB, like the coaches, and uh, they have hitting coaches and things like that. Um, it, are they pretty? Are they pretty open to you know that kind of thing? Have, have you gotten good feedback from just Major League Baseball? Um, you know, just in general, the the managers and and all the different coaches. Yeah, for the most part, uh, it, to be honest, it depends a little bit uh, on the org and, and the team. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, I have a really good relationship with these guys, specifically with the Mariners, obviously being right down the street. Um, but, yeah, good, good relationship with their coaching staff. When when JP came back out this year, uh, that was when Ty first came out for his first week. Mariners hitting coach Jared DeHart came and spent the whole week out here. So, yeah, to answer that question, the relationship is pretty good. Yeah. So do they, I'm sure everybody's unique, Tanner, and what, what they're trying to achieve there, but like when, when JP came there, did he have something specific he talked to you about? Like, listen, I want to I want to be able to square the ball up more. I want to work on my power. I want to work uh, hitting opposite field. Is Was there something specific or was it, hey, I just, I need to be a better hitter? How, how, how does that approach work? Yeah, obviously we're looking to build well-rounded hitters, but everyone comes here for a specific purpose. The the thing we're most well-known for on the hitting side is, is going to be bat speed training. Uh, more specifically, how fast you move the bat is going to help you increase your power, uh, drive the ball more often in the game. So with JP specifically, his goal coming in here was a little bit on the physical side with his body, get stronger, more powerful. But the thing he was really looking for was to increase his ability to impact the baseball, move the bat faster and hit the ball harder. Hey, Tanner, so uh, tell us about in in the beginning, in the very beginning, does he come in and you guys just look at a ton of film? Are you going through that? And, you know, what are some of the, I think uh, we saw Ty France with a bunch of sensors on his body and things like that. Kind of take us through like the the very beginning when somebody comes through the door and, you know, how you get to the point where you're you're fixing him. Right. Yeah. So we, we run all of our athletes pitching and hitting side through what we call the assessment full week in the gym uh, with our MLB guys specifically. They'll, they'll come in, hit in our biomechanics lab. That's where you see guys hitting in their underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll get fully marked up, biomechanics lab. They'll hit on force plates. We know exactly how their body is moving uh, down to like a millimeter of air uh, throughout the entire swing. We know exactly how they're moving on the force plates on the ground. Uh, they'll also go through our high-performance assessment on the weight room side do a series of force plate jumps, a couple pulls and things like that, really getting a well-rounded look of 
the person from a physical standpoint and uh, on, on like a weight room side of things. And then from the same thing on the swing side. And with our LMB guys, we'll, like you said, we'll go through a bunch of video. We'll go through a bunch of their in-season stats. We'll start to tie together some of the things we saw from the season, things they're good at, things they struggle with, things they want to improve on. We'll tie that into what we find in our assessment process and then basically put together a training plan from there. And then periodically throughout the offseason, we'll they'll come back in gym and we'll retest. Uh, in this specific instance with Ty, he, he was in here three different times during, during the offseason talking pretty much every every day in between then, right? But all in all, he spent something like 15, 16, 17 days here uh, over, I don't know, I want to say it was beginning of December through, through the end of January. Mm-hmm. How, how hard is it to change somebody who's like Ty, who's had a ton of success? I mean, we we talked about him when he got called up to, with the Padres and he gets traded here. I mean, the guy just was hitting, it seemed like, since the day he, he got called up to the big leagues until last season. I mean, he was an all-star before that. He, he was just a guy that you had to play straight up because he used the entire field. And then last year happened and he talked about, yeah, it was crazy to look at how you know out of whack my swing was and all the bad habits I, he had developed over the years. So he was talking about bad habits he had when he was successful. So how hard is it to break habits that are considered bad habits up there, mechanically speaking, when it's worked for him for a number of years up until last year? Yeah, it, it depends on the guy, to be honest with you. Uh, with a guy like Ty, who who you would say has a pretty good hit tool, he's been a successful hitter his whole life, uh, and he has, pretty unique, he has a pretty unique swing as far as his movement patterns go. But with a guy like that who's already a good hitter, uh, it, it's less about making big changes. It's more about like small tweaks that are going to help increase that margin for error. So, like, on one hand, let him be that successful type of hitter doing the things he's always done. But, like, with him, it's like looking for little ways where you can kind of tighten up the mechanics a little bit to maybe clean up some of the holes. More specifically, let like let him do what he does best, uh, put the barrel of the bat on the ball, and, and honestly looking to just do more damage. Hey, Tanner, uh, tell me, it was one thing I hear a lot from from uh, from hitters, and, uh, you know, I don't know why I've never asked before, what exactly do they mean? But I think it was Ty France that was saying that his barrel stays in the zone longer or something like that. Can you, is that, is yeah. that the, that's what he was saying, right? Can you, can you kind of explain that? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it's mostly just like looking for ways to, like I said, increase that margin for error, right? Like hitting is the hardest thing you do in sports. Yeah. Uh, any little bit of wiggle room you have to help yourself optimize contact quality is going to help you be more productive. So like with Ty, like he's obviously been a very good hitter, but with the swing mechanics he had, they were more or less inefficient, right? And his barrel had a very small window where he was in the zone matching the pitch plane, right? So like something we were looking to do with him was like clean up some of the mechanics to get him to use his body a little bit more efficiently. But like the ultimate goal with that was we wanted to get his barrel on plane with the pitch deeper in the zone and be able to maintain his posture to keep his barrel on plane further out in front. So that way when he, when he's late, he's able to make quality contact and go to the opposite field. Like he's done well for the majority of his career. Yeah. And it's also going to help him do a little bit more damage when he's out in front to be able to pull the baseball in the air. So I'm, I'm curious how much things, you know, in terms of guys coming to see you for, for help, is that, is that almost strictly word of mouth? Is that like, hey, JP talking to Ty saying, hey, you need to check these guys out, and maybe they talk to some guys they know on other teams? Is that kind of how this works, or do you have teams reaching out to you? How, do, how does the process generally work? It's a little bit of both, man. Like, uh, we'll have teams, we'll have agents reach out, but, but the thing that, does, that really does the best, the best selling or marketing for us is other players who have come through here and have had positive results. 
like JP being able to come in here a handful of times during the season, check on things uh, and being right down the street is obviously huge. He and Ty have a very good relationship. So he and Ty work out together every day, obviously. Right. And then uh, he started to see the the results JP had. Right. And that's, that's the sort of thing that's going to be the best type of, of marketing or sell to get more guys in here. It yeah. really just comes down to results. Uh, that, that is that is an awesome way to to build a business. I love my wife had a small business for for a while, and it was just it was just fun to to see it all come together. How much how much bigger have you guys gotten? I mean, as as far as uh, the facility and the number of uh, you know guys working there. I mean, tell us when it really started to explode. Yeah, man, it really started to explode probably right right after the twenty twenty one season. Uh, on the pitching side, things were a little bit bigger here first. P- pitching development is generally a couple years ahead of where hitting is at. Mm-hmm. But right at, right after the 2021 season, we, we had a couple guys who had monster years, and, and that offseason following is when things really started to pick up on the hitting side. Hey, so is it, you know, when, you, when you're working with, again, somebody like Ty and, and, and that, is it, how do you know when it's – when you're like, okay, this is you're you're good, you're ready to go, or or is it a, a continued process where maybe he comes to see you every month, or how do how do you know when? Uh, all right, job mission accomplished, so to speak. Yeah, man, I, I don't think that mission is ever accomplished on the hitting side, right? In, in a world where, uh, well, what's the cliche? If you're if you're getting out seventy percent of the time as a hitter, you're going to be a hall of famer, right? Uh, I, I don't think it's ever uh, comes to a point where the job is finished, right? We're just like constantly trying to iterate and progress off what we've been doing. Hey, um, are you able, Tanner, to see when you're just watching a game on TV and let's say, you know, you've worked with Ty and then you see him up at the plate and are you able to, or, or JP is a better example, um, you able to, to kind of pick up on those things or is that stuff that's so, you know, minute that you have to get in the lab in order to, to be able to recognize it? It's a little bit of both, right? Like uh, to an extent, uh, we we in general are data driven. So like you know, we generally lean back towards the data to kind of like guide our, our decision making, right? But like when you get to know a hitter really well, you start to learn their swing, you start to learn the things that make them tick. It's really easy to start picking those things up when you're watching them throughout the course of an at-bat, throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of the season. So it's like there, there were a handful of times last year where – JP started to struggle a little bit. We looked at some of the numbers to kind of validate what we were seeing with our eyes, tied that together, and it really just gave it to him in a digestible way. It's like, hey, man, like the specific incident I'm talking about was regarding his attack angle. And what that is is just the the angle of the barrel relative to the ground at contact. Early on last year, JP was hitting the ball much, much harder than he ever had, but he was hitting the ball way too low, hitting a lot of ground balls really hard right at people, like the thing we saw that his attack angle was too low, and that was something we we, fo- we focused on during the off season, trying to clean up his bat path a little bit so he can hit the ball in the air more often, uh, which is what we were seeing during the season. After the game, we pulled a bunch of the data, we talked to him about it, gave him a couple different things to work on pregame, uh, on off days, things like that, and then that's when the results really started to show. Hey, do you ever do you ever watch a game with any any other teams and you're just watching as a fan? You look at somebody up at the plate and just go, I, I don't know how this guy's hitting the ball with with the mechanics with that <laughs> with that. Sweet, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I mean the guy that comes to mind for me is Giancarlo Stanton. He's got tremendous uh-huh. power. He's okay. got the most closed off stance there is. He feels like he's fighting against himself and he's got an ugly swing. Yet the guy can murder the ball. It just to me is is a bit of a freak up there with how he does things. But so you see guys like that that you look at and go, I don't I don't know how he's doing what he's doing. 
Man, every single day. The the longer I've been doing this, the the harder it's been to watch a baseball game as a fan. It, it's almost ruined uh, ruined watching hitters for me to an extent where I'm constantly <laughs> evaluating swings and I'm watching. So yeah, I answer the question all all the time, nonstop. Does, does does his swing stand out to you at all, or is that just me? Uh, yeah, it definitely stands out to me, and, and that's the beautiful thing about baseball. The beautiful thing about hitting is is there's not one single cookie cutter way to do it. Uh, that's part of the value in, in being more data driven and, and letting the, the numbers start to give us an idea of like what's working, what isn't, what correlates to certain things that help guys be successful. Uh, because there are a lot of different ways to be successful as a hitter. And, and yeah. Yeah, you know, I think one of the funnier thing we try to every once in a while uh, imitate uh, somebody's you know approach at the plate, like Rendon, who's been in the news for different reasons. Uh, he, yeah. you know, he's got that kind of lazy look. You got, you know, you got all these different. You, Bob mentioned Giancarlo Stanton closed off. Do you? Is that important to guys, or do they ask you to change that, or is that is that something that comes about naturally when you're trying to get them to do something, uh, you know, make a change? Does that end up changing their stance very often? How much do you pay pay attention to that? It, it's definitely a part of it, right? It, it's it's generally not not the first thing we'll go to. So, like in general, with our process, uh, we we like to look at what we call the the big three hitting skills. We're looking at a guy's bat speed, which is essentially going to be their power potential. We look at their bat-to-ball gra- bat grade, which is more like evaluating a hit tool. Basically, when you're swinging, how often are you making contact? When you do make contact, what's the quality of that contact? And we're looking at a guy's swing decisions, right? So like, th- those, are, those are like three skills that, in general, are going to lead to production on the field. So, and we, we obviously big on the biomechanics, big on the swing, big on human movement, things like that, right? But like everything we do with the hitter, should directly tie to improving one of those big three skills because those things are what directly impact on-field performance. Uh, so as far as, like, making changes to the guy's stance, hand positions, things like that, if you look at Ty a little bit, you can see his hands are in a slightly different position right now. That was part of what we saw in our motion capture lab and the assessment with some of the other technology we use. Uh, we wanted to make a very, very small change that was going to help optimize the way he moved to generally be more efficient, help keep his barrel in the zone longer and ultimately let him move faster while being able to control it. Have you had any other Mariners come through there? I don't know if you're allowed to say or not. I mean, obviously JP is public about it and Ty has been any other members of the team come through. Yeah, we, we've had a handful of pitchers come through. Uh, I'm not the best person to, to name all those guys, but on the hitting side, the, the guys we've had in here the most over the last couple of years would be Ty, obviously Taylor Trammell and, and uh, JP. It's got to be tremendously rewarding for you guys. I mean, you mentioned, first of all, just the free adver- – not free advertising. You guys are putting in tons of work. But, I mean, uh, that's that's really cool. But um, just to be involved in the game the way that you guys are and to hear, you know, like driveline has just become this uh, – you know, every, everybody's ears perk up when, when, that, uh, when they hear that. It's got to be uh, tremendously gratifying for you as as far as your you know day to day job. I mean that's that's pretty cool. You're making you're making ball players better and making them their best version of themselves. So that's it's got to be uh, quite an honor for you, Tanner. It, it's so much fun, man. Like uh, as you can imagine, the, the majority of people that that work at Driveline played themselves. Some of them went on to play professionally. Some of them didn't. I didn't personally. So, like, it's obviously really rewarding to be around the game. It's rewarding to have a big impact on these guys' career and just to be able to watch them go out and perform. 
So who are you working with out, outside of the big leaguers? We all know. I mean, is it are there is there an age limit? Like you got you have high school, junior high, high school, college kids coming in. How does how does the the uh, the customer base work essentially for you? Yeah, so we we work with anybody from like I think uh, so we have a, we have academy teams uh, in, in like the Kent area and the Arizona area where both our facilities are at currently, uh, and we have teams from I believe our youngest team this year is, is ten years old. So we'll work from 10-year-olds all the way up through big leagues. Have a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah. I, I could ask you like 50 more questions, Tanner, but um, <laughs> one more. Uh, you know, we were looking at, uh, it's just very fascinating to me, and I, I just think it's so cool that, you know, you could actually, I wish they'd had something like that for tackling when I was playing in the NFL. But, um, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as um, like some of the workouts that we saw, and we saw Ty posted some stuff on on Twitter and kind of some weird motions, you know, like whether it's throwing a ball or, you know, it, it, all of that stuff, you know, just kind of comes about from, you know, just trying to find out how to work different muscles, I'm guessing. But uh, yeah, uh, tell, tell, tell us how you've developed that part. Man, you're, you're talking like some of the drills and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. To be honest with you, the, the way that's developed over the years has just been a hell of a lot of trial and error. Right, like, like like I mentioned, we're we're very much data driven. Have been from the beginning, and that's something that'll that'll remain constant for as, definitely as long as I'm here. Hopefully longer. Um, but yeah, most of that stuff has come from trial and error, right? Like we bring all of our guys in. The first thing every athlete does when they come in here, from young age all the way up to the big league guys, they go through that assessment process, which is more or less the same for everybody. They get in the biomechanics lab. They do some sort of uh, strength assessment. We evaluate bat of ball data. We evaluate their bat path data. And then we put together drill packages uh, trying to target very specific uh, changes, right, mm-hmm. that are ultimately going to lead back to improving those big three skills. Uh, and what we do is we, we like to progress the intensity of all the training environments. Like we'll start pretty, pretty simple, more controlled environments with the drill work to start. As we progress throughout the offseason, they'll move into more challenging environments, make the drills harder and things like that. And honestly, we're, we're really just – it's a whole lot of trial and error and, and trying to figure out what works best. Uh, sound, uh, just such a cool thing you've got going there. I'd love to come down and take a look at everything. Ryan, our buddy Ryan Roland Smith has threatened to drag me through there a few times just to take. Uh, I love time. Ryan. Man. Yeah. You, you guys are welcome out here anytime. Yeah, we we definitely got to make that happen. I really uh, want to check it out. But if he could get me to hit a, a ball, I was the worst baseball player ever. I could play a little softball, but yeah, if you could get us to <laughs> us to hit, you know, we'll come down there have a little competition. I'm sure we can help. <laughs> Do you work on softball players too? Is that is that part of the curriculum? We we have honestly, yeah, we have. We we've had some softball players come through here. We've had uh, honestly, we've we've had some some old men's league players. Dave, come through here. Looks the way <laughs> uh, I want to say last summer we had a a guy who was retired, like sixty years old, who just wanted to get better in his men's league. He was really bored. Um, yeah. had like been following us from afar for a long time, just signed up for a little bit of online training, worked with him remotely. He decided to come in gym, go through the assessment, do some of the training here. So yeah, pretty, pretty confident we can help. I'll tell you what, I hit a walk-off homer in an over 40 beer league and it was like scoring a, an NFL, an NFL touchdown. I mean, it was like <laughs> the best feel. I might come down there and work with you, Tanner. Just awesome. Come through, man. Yeah, we will. We'll make that happen. We'll make it happen. Tanner Stokey, the director of hitting at Driveline, has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob. Tanner, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Great stuff, and we, we appreciate it. 
Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, I was always told I had a face for radio, so anytime you want me on, we'll we'll make it happen. We'll, we'll we'll hopefully we'll be seeing you soon, man. Love to check out what's going on down there. All right, fellas, take care. Thanks, Tanner. There you go, Tanner Stokey again, director of hitting at Driveline. Work with Ty France this off seasons. Worked with J.P. Crawford, Taylor Trammell, uh, and others. So yeah, what a cool thing. And Ryan has always talked about it. You know their pitching work they do. Yeah. On the other side, so yeah, it'd be cool just to check out the facility and just watch. You know, with what how they approach everybody differently, and then. Yeah, if we could get in the cage, that'd be great. That would be I fun. Would love yeah. it. I, I would probably embarrass myself and possibly hurt myself, but um, <laughs> that's almost a certainty. <laughs> but man, I what a great what a great business. I mean, first of all, it's involved in, in sports, but you know, just to the pride that you must have. Not only you know the the free advertising. You're like, yeah, we were the guys that kind of fixed Thai France or JP. But just watching them have their because you know when you're in a slump, it seems like anyway. You know we always talk about, and he said it. I think it's the hardest thing to do in sports. I mean, maybe hit golf, a baseball, yeah. Hit a, hit a baseball when it's you know they've got coming at you triple digits. Yeah, or it's a change up and you're totally fooled. And you know, to me, I think it's the most difficult thing. And if you can fix that. Man, that's got to be uh, a, not only, you know, like I said, very rewarding for those guys, just day-to-day work. I mean, that's like that's like fun, right? Like, that's how I felt in the NFL. I felt like every day I was going to, to go, you know, like a little kid, to go yeah. play on the playground. And for him, you know, to be involved in this industry and to have, you know, a direct tie to some of these players, pretty pretty cool. Our thanks again to Tanner Stokey, director of hitting at Driveline. If you guys missed any of that conversation, it will be on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Coming up, the salary cap bump has had an unintended consequence for free agency. We'll talk about what that means for the Seahawks. Coming up next, it's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Tanner Stokey, the director of hitting at Driveline, who was joining us in the previous segment, in case you guys are just tuning in. Really interesting stuff from him. Worked with uh, Ty France this offseason, has worked with J.P. Crawford, as well as Taylor Trammell and others. So uh, really, really interesting stuff. If you guys missed that, that conversation will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Meanwhile, looking at the world of the NFL with the salary cap bump, talking about unintended consequences, you know, the fact that now – uh, every team has more money than they had prior to this bump. Certainly, the Seahawks being a beneficiary of that, but they're not alone. So, does that make it harder to go after free agents? Do you think everybody else has got spending power now that they didn't have prior to this? Yeah. Well, remember what John said last week about how you try to fill all the holes through free agency, and a lot of times you you go overboard yeah. and overspend and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know what uh, you know, and you you sent the the link on Justin Matabuike, who had a really good year this yeah. last year. But for these defensive tackles, it's it's amazing how um, you know how, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them. That would be be kind of shocking if it was their first signing to get a guy like this. Um, I think they're going to slap the the tag on him. Yeah, in Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, says they'll yeah. they'll tag him if they don't get a long term deal done. Which and I think their tag is like twenty million. I'm like, if you're a defensive tackle, you can't complain. I mean, it's twice as much as what running backs are getting. Yeah, as far as like, the tag, go ahead, tag me. You'd be like Kirk Cousins. He was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, who's yeah. made a fortune doing that? Right, and the tag number is what the 
it's like an average of the top five yeah. in your position. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know why people look at that so um, negatively. But, I mean, you look at the trajectory of this guy's career, and this is what, you know, Matt Abuike specifically, um, just seeing where he was drafted and the kind of player that he became, he was a third-round draft choice. And this guy just got better first year, you know, only played in uh, 10 games, you know, got a, got one sack, then he got two the next year, then five and a half, and then 13 this last year. He's a pro bowler. So, yeah, I don't, you know, we were talking about Dre Jones and seeing, you know, if maybe he was a guy that the they might bring back. But this is, I wonder if, you know, a player like this that they might, you know, who knows? Mike McDonald might say, hey, man, this is the key to this defense that I'm running. And, you know, we need to get a guy just like Matt Abuike, who just for an inside guy to get 13 sacks, it's just, it's miraculous. Well, it's clearly the presence of Judevian Clowney that brought him to that level, right? They had to account for Clowney, so it opened things up for Matt Abuike. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm joking, but there, there could be something to that because he had arguably his best season, talking about Clowney. Yeah. Uh, nine and a half sack. I mean, you know, you're looking at a guy who's on the downside of his career age-wise by the typical standard that's out there, and he had a huge impact with that team this year. So not sure what Mike McDonald did with him to, to get him to that point, and maybe it's all the talent he's surrounded with that, that, that opened things up for him. But You but, like to think that it's his system, right, and that that will yeah. unlock, you know, some all some of, players. All of a sudden he comes here and, and uh, Jaron Reed has a career year yeah. and, and – uh, Uchenna has a career year, and if Daryl Taylor's here, anybody who we're kind of looking at going, man, they just haven't quite taken that step yet. Yeah, I'd love to think that it's his system that's the cure for Right. Well, and I, and I think, uh, you know, the, the bigger question really is Leonard Williams. I mean, if you're talking about interior guys, um, you know, because they traded for him and, you know, they didn't pay hardly anything for him. They did give up a second and, you know, and a, what, a fifth. And 600, what did we say, 647, I think, 647,000 yeah. was the prorated portion of the veteran minimum. Right. And when I saw that number, I was like, no, I think that's per game. It has to be, right? Mm. That was just nothing. I mean, it was dirt cheap other than the second yeah, it was, draft. It's the draft pick. I mean, yeah. if they, hypothetically, if they had given him, given up a, a, a fifth and still pay that money for whatever reason, just playing that out, would you still have the same urgency to, to get him back? Because I feel like that creates a level of urgency to say, we, you, you can't give up a second round pick for a guy that played 10 games for you yeah. and then he's gone. Right. It, it feels like that increases the urgency to bring him back. Because of what they gave up for him, and he only he didn't play a full season, ten games. You know that's that'll be a good question for for John uh, on Thursday. Not a great question, but a good question, Bob. Um, because you, you know, might I, say great. You never know. I I would think that you would have to resist that temptation. That like hey, we gave it away at that point, knowing that we may not sign him, and they will get some kind of comp- compensatory pick if he does sign somewhere else, but. I'm very curious to see what happens with Leonard Williams and and just in general like who are the players that fit into this defense? You know, who are or maybe it's just one that Mike McDonald thinks, "Hey, you know, pretty much anybody, it's the system and I don't know if there's anybody that's specific to it, but um yeah, I'm I'm curious if you're going to 
you're going to see a signing, whether it's Leonard Williams or, you know, whoever they get at linebacker going, this is why we need this guy because of my defense does this and that. And we need to get, you know, this sort of production out of this player and be very curious to see how that all goes down. But I would bet that John would, would answer that question. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any crazy decisions about paying this guy or, you know, whatever kind of contract just because we gave up a second rounder for him. Mm -hmm. Well, what about you just individually, what you watched of him, just what they paid aside, do you feel like, man, you need that guy back? Or do you feel like we can find somebody to do what he does? Yeah, I I think he's pretty unique. I mean, for a guy who is that big and that fast, and, you know, the the thing, I, John, t- you know, told me, hey, go look at his 49er um, performance when he was with the Giants, and he just wasn't, nobody could double team him. I mean, and he was making tackles with one guy blocking him, and he's grabbing the guy, you know, from uh, – it was like when the the fight with Cam Newton where he's like oh. holding one guy in a headlock <laughs> and punching another guy. I mean, that's that's kind of what uh, what he what he looks like. I think he's special, and I think that that is something that they'll get done. And, you know, the other thing about him is that they've had their eye on him for a long time, probably mm-hmm. since, you know, the, the draft. But, yeah, I think that's going to be one – I I would say you can count on. I mean, obviously it's not a hundred percent, but I, I'm pretty sure. I'll be uh, interested to see what the price tag's going to be yeah. for him. It's I mean, we you talked about the the uh, cap or the tag number, which is exceedingly high and pretty punitive to your your salary cap. So most of these teams, I assume, don't want to use that. Uh, but Man. you look at some of the other guys. I mean, Chris Jones. It feels like the Chiefs have made it pretty clear. They're going to do what they need to do to get him back. Mm-hmm. So he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's technically a free agent. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Fletcher Cox, Grover Stewart, DJ Reader, Danico Autry. Those are some of your free agent defensive tackles out there. Yeah. So it feels like, you know, if you're not going to get Chris Jones, which it doesn't sound like you will, you're not going to get Matt Abike, who, who it sounds like, well, they've said, yeah, if we can't work out a long-term deal, he's going to get tagged. So he's not leaving Baltimore. Feels like Williams might be the next best guy out there. That you, if you're not going to get those two, you're not going to improve upon that spot. Then get get what you know. Yeah, you know it's it's hard to figure out what the the value is of these guys. Like Matabike, I mean, he's if he didn't have the 13 sacks, I, I would have never heard of him. Yeah, right? I mean, you and and I think a lot of the that's the thing. I mean, that's that's a position where you've got to really you know pay attention to how is he affecting the defense, and that's the thing when he. I know as a as a linebacker, you know, a lot of times the double team happens on the defensive line, and then one of those guys comes off up to block you. When you have a guy that can occupy. You know the the guard, the guy that's coming up, mm-hmm. and now your linebacker can run around and you know be free and not get blocked. Love that guy, love him. You know, I remember Cortez Kennedy. You know, the Greg Cragen was a nose guard in Denver, and there were so many times where I would be it would be like an outside zone play, and I would be running out there, and I'd see the guard that was trying to come out and block me and he would just give him a little grab just a little jersey pull little there yeah a little <laughs> little bit of cheat just like the uh, the offensive players do so um yeah those those are it's a very valuable position and obviously the NFL values it because the the tag number is 20 million which i hmm. think is like third third or fourth maybe i don't know maybe edge edge rushers probably more but certainly quarterbacks yeah probably what wide receivers maybe yeah 
But I mean, you you look at tight ends and running backs are the two lowest, other than yeah. special teams. All right, coming up, will the health of the pitching staff affect the Mariners as much as it did last season? We're going to talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Text line is there for you at 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Spring training well underway. By the way, the Mariners tied today. Final 10-10. Pitcher's duel with the Giants. Holy moly. <laughs> Batting practice. Yeah, 10-10. A lot of walks uh, towards the end of the game for the Mariners. And uh, not a great day for Kirby. Ending in a third. Four hits, three earned runs, no walks, no strikeouts. So, uh, yeah, 10-10, your final there. Meanwhile, uh, just talking about the Mariners pitching, you, you look at them and go, okay, they, they had two extreme seasons. They had the season before last season where nobody missed a start, which is an absolute beyond rarity in the league. Then last year where Robbie Ray has gone for the year, Marco's gone for the year, you had guys dealing with injuries of, of varying degrees, whether it was a blister on Miller's finger or things like that. So you you had to kind of piece it together much more, obviously, last year than you did before. But they don't really have that depth right now. Emerson Hancock got called up. He got hurt. Um, he's he's a guy you look at as depth now. But Scott Service on with Brock and Salk this morning was just talking about, you know, the amount of innings that they that they were able to get from uh, able to get from their starters. If that is that something that they're gonna because I feel like we've talked about innings more in regards to the bullpen, especially with Brash. Yeah. Right. We talked about that with I think Divish was bringing that up the number of innings he pitched and you know how how maybe that that could be something that's lingering because he he hasn't pitched yet this spring or he has he pitched once and then felt I think he called it banged up felt pretty banged up the next day and hasn't thrown since so we'll we'll see what what they're going to do uh, as far as the bullpen goes but the but starters in their innings here's what Scott had to say about that whether that is sustainable I do think it is and and I know everybody. Uh, complains that we don't leave our starting pitchers in longer. They're going so good. We let our starters go deeper than anybody else in baseball because uh, we trust them, and they're really good. Um, and they have a pretty good way of keeping the pitch count intact so we're not taxing them too much where it affects their next couple outings. So uh, we'll stay with the same philosophy there. And you love to see our guys go out, give us a chance to win when they take the mound, and, and hopefully they can take you into the seventh inning and then turn it over to a really good bullpen. So... We're not going to change much on that. You just have to watch the workload in between some of those outings. And I think Logan's learned how to manage that. He doesn't go down and throw a 45-pitch bullpen between outings. Now he might go down there and, and, and touch and feel 15, 20 pitches, knowing save your bullets for your game day. And, and George is learning that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wonder if because Scott Service is an old catcher that he, he gets it. Because it seems like more... Uh, you know, last year, the last couple of years kind of noticed like when these guys start getting good that Logan Gilbert gives him a look like, don't take me out, Skip. No. Um, you know, and maybe him being, a, you know, that background knows, you know, how these guys are motivated and what makes them tick and things like that. So I wonder if that might have, uh, you know, and I, I think service is really good about that. I think he manages that part of it where it's like, hey, no, you're done. You know, we we can all see it. Or okay, let's let you can stretch it a little bit because you're on a roll and leave them out for another inning or two. 
Yeah, and, and then we brought up uh, we brought up Brash and talked about him. Here he is, just he's being asked about Matt Brash's health at this point. Yeah, we will hear more in the next couple of days uh, on where Matt is at. Uh, obviously, he's a key part. He's one of the best arms, bullpen arms in the league. Uh, you know, he felt some soreness the other day. We're we're being very cautious with that. Where is that soreness? Out. It's in his arm. <laughs> okay. I answered your question. Didn't you I? did. <laughs> it's his right arm, too. It's in his throwing it's arm. His, yeah. Yeah. Forearm? Arm, not shoulder? Arm. Scott not being specific with where the soreness is. Where is it? Shoulder, elbow, tricep. He should have said tricep. upper body. Yeah, it's upper body soreness. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't not sure how to take that. Uh, they're being cautious. It's it's way too early in spring to be pushing anybody. Uh, we talked about that before. If somebody comes up the next day like, ah, my knee's a little sore or my feet or my ankle, whatever, they're going to say have a seat because there's no urgent urgency to any of this, especially when it's a pitcher. And especially even more so somebody you count on the way you do with Brash in that bullpen. So uh, it feels like the right thing to do. Hopefully they're going to, you know, get some sort of news that it's not a big deal, just – you know, residual soreness and should be ready to go. I feel like Brash and, and Munoz are very exciting to me because Brash is, you know, that slider that he throws or what are they calling it now? The sweeper. Sweeper. Yeah, not not a super fan of that term. But, um, yeah, that it, it's just ridiculous. And remember, speaking of driveline, we just talked to uh, a guy from driveline. Uh, he wasn't somebody down there calling it like the – best pitch in major league baseball history or it had the most movement yeah. that was uh yeah the guy the pitching guy we talked to last year chris langan who langan. worked with brash yeah yeah and he was that that's that's quite a uh, quite a comment on you know as far, as far as talking about mlb history but yeah that that you know him and then you got munoz come coming out there with triple digits i feel like they there's some special things going on in the in the bullpen this year i'm really excited to see how they how they fare you know, one of one of the uh, things I thought was interesting, just talking about injuries with pitchers and everything, is this story I saw from Spencer Strider, who's an ace with the with the uh, Atlanta Braves, and he was talking about they've you know they've went to the pitch clock, fifteen seconds with nobody on base, twenty seconds with somebody on base. Now they they've moved it from twenty to eighteen seconds, and he feels like you know that somehow there's a there's a correlation between the injuries we're seeing. In the pitch clock, which on the surface I'm going, I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. So you're saying two seconds is going to lead to more injuries. I've got two seconds less of less rest time, I guess, if you will, between pitches. If somebody's on base, that that that's and then it was a long article that that uh, that I sent. So, but they went through all these studies and everything, and basically they came to the conclusion that. Um, the head of biomechanics research at American Sports Medicine Institute, uh, a guy named Glenn Fleisig, uh, was part of a working group studying the pitch clock, blah, blah, blah. He says pitch timer settings weren't simply pulled out of the sky. They studied for nearly a decade in minor league ball. Basically, they came to the conclusion that, yeah, we can't draw any sort of correlation between the pitch clock and injuries. Yeah. But striders of the belief that, well, you know, you've got all these guys who are going down with Tommy John and blah, blah, blah. Maybe there is a connection and it's... Well, no, maybe it's just guys throw so much harder these days, and there's that much more torque being yeah. put on your elbow and your shoulder in a way that where, you know, back in the day, somebody throwing mid upper nineties was a standout. Now it's like, yeah, this guy, this guy is sitting around ninety seven as an average and hitting triple digits on a regular 
occasion. That's somebody hitting 100, 101, 102 is is not that unique anymore. Yeah. Well, and I think blaming the pitch clock is kind of like maybe trying to connect the dots. I mean, let's get some more data, you know, yeah. in a couple of years. But they've been doing it in the in the minor leagues and I'm I'm curious was there a, a rash of injuries for for pitchers? Um yeah, I don't I don't remember hearing about it. So, no. yeah, I mean, when people go after one year, I mean, that could just be a phenomenon that maybe is not going to be duplicated next year. Just doesn't doesn't really make that much sense. Like you said, the extra, what, two seconds? Yeah, for this year. It'll go yeah. from 20 to 18. But his, his quote was, we, re- we reviewed data from last year, and the number of injuries to major league pitchers is in line with the trend from the last decade, saying yeah. last year with the pitch timer did not seem to bump the injury rate up or down. That's just kind of in line with what it's been. So right. I, I, I assume everybody's going to try, especially if you're a pitcher, you're trying to draw a connection. They don't like being rushed up there. They want to be able to take their time. And injury seems to be a good way of saying, we shouldn't do this because look at all the injuries to these high-priced arms you've got out there. But all after all these studies, they're saying, well, yeah, we couldn't really find a connection yeah. to that. So there you go. All right, coming up, we'll catch up with an old teammate of uh, Mr. Wyman, Ed McCaffrey father of Christian McCaffrey will join us coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle sports on 710.